Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit TucsonBaptist.com. We pray that today's message is an encouragement to you. Focused on family. And so, as I said, my introduction is super long, and, uh, and so bear with me. I want to do something a little bit different. It's going to be a little bit lighthearted as we, as we start, and then we're going to get into the meat of the message uh, at the end. Uh, is that okay? That's good. I trust that everyone would just relax and enjoy being in love. How many of you are in love in some area? You're in love. Oh, that's so sweet. But look at all those people that didn't raise their hand. I, oh, my heart hurts for you. Well, I, I did it at Valentine's banquet. Some of you may remember this opening illustration. Many of you have never have heard it, but uh, some of you, if you were at a Valentine's banquet a couple years ago, I used this illustration just to, to break the ice. But um, um, there's a store in Manhattan that sells husbands. And uh, it, it's so cool. A woman can go, and she can go to this store, and she can find her husband. Now, here's the, here's the instructions when you go in this store in Manhattan. Uh, it says, at the entrance, you may only uh, uh, visit uh, the store one time. So you, can, you have one shot. That's it. You can only come to the store one time. There are six floors, and the attributes of the men uh, uh, increase as the shopper ascends the different flights. There is, however, a catch. Uh, it, the, in the rules of this store, you may choose any man from any particular floor, or you may choose to go to the next floor, but once you go to the next floor, you are not allowed to go down to the floor before. Um, and so in this husband's store, uh, a lady enters, and she's looking for a husband, looking for a boyfriend, looking for someone to spend her life with. On floor number one, it, the sign says, these are the men that have jobs and love the Lord. The woman says, okay, this is good. She goes to floor number two. These men have jobs. They love the Lord, and they love children. Man, that's pretty good, right? Well, floor number three. These men have jobs, love the Lord, love children, and are extremely good looking. That's pretty good. Wow, she thinks, and she is compelled to keep on going. She goes to the fourth floor. Upon arrival at the fourth floor, there's this big sign. These men have jobs. They love the Lord. They love kids. They're drop-dead, gorgeous-looking, and they help with housework. <laughs> oh, mercy me, she exclaims. I can hardly stand it. And she heads to the fifth floor. And there's this ginormous sign now. It says this. These men have jobs. They love the Lord. They love children. They're drop-dead, gorgeous, and handsome. They help with ha uh, housework, and they have a strong romantic streak. It's getting better. She just cannot believe it. So she heads to the next floor. She gets to floor number six. There's an electronic sign. 
And it's, it says, you are visitor number 4,363,012 to this floor. There are no men on this floor. This floor exists solely as proof that women are impossible to please. Thank you for shopping at the husband store. Watch your step as you exit the building and have a nice day. This morning, I want to focus on family. There's a guy back here on my right. I don't know what it would take to make you smile. Uh, that is pretty funny. Um, I'd like for you to take your Bibles go to Genesis chapter 29. We're still going to be in our introduction for a little while. I want to give you a history of Valentine's Day, the love week. And uh, oftentimes uh, it, is a, it is really a day you look forward to, and that would be February the 14th. And this year, February 14th, happens to fall on Wednesday. We're going to have a salt luncheon for all of those who are older, whether they're widows, widowers, single, married. We want every one of our salt members, uh, uh, folks who are 50 years of age and older, to come and, uh, and be blessed by a great meal. And we have a special we have a special speaker this year. We have a special meal that's going to be prepared because uh, it's Love Week. And we want to express how much we love our church family. There's a story in the Bible. His name is Jacob. If you're reading through the Bible this year, no doubt you've already read through the book of Genesis. And, and, uh, and, and I was reminded uh, uh, when I read uh, early a couple of weeks ago when we were in Genesis chapter 29, the Bible says in verse number 20, and Jacob served seven years for Rachel. Now, I can't imagine. It's a different time. It's a different culture. Uh, you, you did things differently back then. I'm thankful we don't do that today. It was a matter of phone call. Hey, Gary, I, uh, I love your daughter. Can I marry her? And he said, uh, do you tithe and give to the Lord, and are you faithful to church? Yes, I am. And uh, he asked me then a couple other personal questions, and he said, I give you permission to marry my daughter. That was it. Uh, not so back then. He had to work for his future father-in-law for seven years. But there's a part of this verse that says, And they seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had to her. I wonder this morning if it seems like years in the love that you have for your wife, or but just a few days because you're still madly in love with her. You're still madly in love with your children and your grandchildren. You still have a love for people. Let me give you a history of Valentine's Day. And so you can sit back and relax for just a moment as I want to give you. This is not an American tradition. Uh, Thanksgiving is often recognized and the rest of the world wonders why everyone's off on Thursday. But that is not the case when it comes to Valentine's Day. It's a worldwide holiday. This is the day that people send greeting cards called Valentine's to their sweethearts and their friends and members of their families and in school to their classmates. Many Valentines have romantic verses on them and they have humorous pictures and sayings and it'll say, would you be my Valentine? Valentine. How many of you remember school and doing that? Oh, that's so sweet. For weeks before February 14th, stores, they'll sell Valentines and Valentine uh, decorations. And what is the favorite candy at Valentine? Chocolate. In fact, 
Yesterday, I drove by C's Candy on Broadway, and there wasn't a single spot available in the parking lot, so I kept on driving. <laughs> School children, they'll decorate their, uh, their classrooms with paper hearts and lace, and on Valentine's Day, many people give candies and flowers and gifts and balloons to their friends, and it's a huge uh, uh, day for, uh, for, for those who sell these items. It really helps the local economy. And, and in some schools, children hold a classroom party and they put Valentine's into a box that they have decorated. And many children send their largest, fanciest cards to their parents and to teachers. Uh, British children, they sing Valentine's Day songs and receive gifts of candy, fruit, or money. People in Italy on Valentine's Day, they hold a feast. In Britain and Italy, unmarried women, they get up before sunrise on Valentine's Day and they stand by the window waiting for a man to pass by. And they believe that the first man that they see is someone who will give them a glimpse of what their future husband will look like. William Shakespeare, uh, the English playwright, mentions this belief in Hamlet back in 1603 when Ophelia, a woman in the play, sings this. Good morning, tis St. Valentine's Day, all in the morning be time, and I am made at your window to be your valentine. In Denmark, uh, people send pressed white flowers called snowdrops to their friends. And Danish men also send a type of valentine called a joking letter. And, and often the sender writes a rhyme uh, but does not sign uh, uh, his name. Instead, he signs the valentine with dots. And um, one dot for each letter of his name. And if the woman gets it or guesses his name, uh, he rewards her with an Easter egg. What a ridiculous tradition that takes place in Denmark. Where did Valentine's Day begin? Different authorities believe Valentine's Day goes all the way back to the ancient uh, uh, Roman times, some 2,000 years ago. Other experts connect the event with one or more uh, of the saints of the early church. And still others link it with an old English belief that, that birds would choose their mates on February the 14th. Valentine's Day maybe comes from a combination of all those sources. I, I really don't know. We don't have a very clear here is perfectly where it started. I do know that in the early church there was a couple pastors by the name of Valentine. Uh, the Roman Emperor Claudius in AD 200, he forbid young men to marry. Um, the emperor thought that the soldiers would be better if they were not married. Um, uh, the, uh, there are many stories that say that Valentine, uh, a man named Valentine, uh, he was executed on February the 14th in AD 269 because he would then marry uh, men who wanted to be married. Geoffrey Chaucer, he was an English poet and from the 1300s, and he wrote the Parliament of Fowls. He said this, For this was on St. Valentine's Day, when every fowl cometh there to choose his mate. Some of you are, remember Shakespeare and, and, and the Mid Midsummer Night's Dream. There was a character in the play who discovers two lovers in the woods, and he asks, St. Valentine is past. Begin those wood birds, but to couple now? 
um, people in England, uh, they celebrate, uh, celebrated Valentine's Day as uh, documented back as early as the 1400s. And historians trace the custom of sending verses on Valentine's Day to a Frenchman named Charles, the Duke of Orleans. And Charles was captured by the English during the Battle of Agincourt in 1450. And he was taken to England and he was put in a, a prison. And on, val- on Valentine's Day, he wrote his wife a rhymed love letter from his cell from the Tower of London. Oh, there's many Valentine's Day customs involved uh, uh, that single women could learn who their future husband would be. And in fact, English women of the 1700s, they wrote men's names on scraps of paper and they rolled them into a little piece of clay and they dropped them into the water. And the first, uh, the first paper that rose to the surface supposedly had the name of the woman's true love. Ridiculous. But they did it. In the 1700s, unmarried women uh, 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 pinned five bay leaves uh, to their pillows on the eve of uh, Valentine's Day. And they pinned one leaf to the center of the pillow and one to each corner. And if the charm worked, they saw their future husbands in their dreams. Sounds like there was a lot of desperation back in the 1600s and 1700s to me. Commercial valentines were first made in the early 1800s, and many of them were blank inside, and and, uh, the lovers would write messages to each other. Esther Hallen of Worcester, Mass., became one of the first manufacturers of valentines uh, in the United States, and in 1847, was anyone back then? Uh, In 1847, After seeing a valentine from Great Britain, she decided to begin making them uh, her own. And she made samples and took orders from local stores. And she hired a staff of young women and set up an assembly line to produce these cards. And one would glue uh, the paper flowers and another added the lace and another painted leaves. And and in 1848, she made $100,000 making Valentine's Day cards. What would that be worth today? Many Valentine's uh, cards in the 1800s were hand-painted. And and we see from the mid-1800s to the early 1900s, many people sent comic Valentine's called Penny Dreadfuls. Some of you have heard that terminology. These cards sold for a penny, and they featured insulting verses. "'Tis all vain, your simpering looks." You never can incline with all your bustle, stays, and curls to find a valentine. And many of these uh, dreadful and other valentines have become collector's items. And if you ever have one from your great-great-grandma, uh, 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 they would be worth some money today. But one thing is certain. Valentine's Day on February the 14th is a day to celebrate love. You know that we as Christians, we ought to know how to celebrate love. Because love was demonstrated to us. Oh, let's think about a couple of things here just to, to, for some of you to go back down memory lane. And it's, it'll take you a little while to go back there. Let's talk about dating. Teenage love. Here's what teenage love is. It's a feeling you feel when you feel that what you feel is a feeling you've never felt before. <laughs> hey, Bruce, he sat on the end of the sofa his girlfriend on the other end of the sofa. And uh, for a long time, it was awkward, and neither one of them spoke. And finally, she said, Bruce, do you think my eyes are beautiful? Yes. Uh, Bruce, uh, do you think my hair is the prettiest you ever saw? 
Well, yes. Do you think I have a perfect figure? Yes. Do you think my lips are like rubies? You bet. Uh, are my teeth like pearls? Yes, I'll say. Oh, Bruce, you say the nicest things. <laughs> there was a young man very much in love with a beautiful young lady. and One day she told him that the next day was her birthday. And he told her he would send her a bouquet of roses and there would be one rose for each year of her life. And that evening he called the florist and he ordered 23 roses and instructed that they be delivered the first thing the next day on Valentine's Day. The next morning the florist was preparing the order and he decided that since the young man was such a good customer that he would put an extra dozen roses in the bouquet. The young man never did find out why the young lady would never go out with him again. What about weddings? Do you remember your wedding? Some of you have been married a long time and maybe the details are fuzzy. Your wedding. There was an elderly preacher. I can see giving this advice to a young man. He advised a young preacher friend of his that sometimes when you're standing in front of people getting married or you're standing in, in, in a funeral service that you, you, you can have your mind go blank and you can't remember what you're supposed to say. Is that true, Pastor Howard? Is that true, Pastor Blair? I mean, your mind could go blank. You prepared. You know the person as well as, you, as if it was your wife or one of your children. You can't pull their name out for anything. And this elderly preacher said, listen... When your mind blanks and you're in one of those situations, what you should do is you should just quote Scripture. And sure enough, this young pastor, he was, he, he was performing his second wedding ceremony, and he, his mind went blank. He couldn't remember for the life of him what, did, what he was supposed to say. And all he could think is the pastor said, quote Scripture, and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. <laughs> Marriage. For some, marriage is not what you've expected. Um, a man said, when I was first married, I'd come home and it was so peaceful. My, my little dog would race around barking at, at me and my wife would actually bring me my slippers. And now, five years later, my dog brings the slippers and my wife barks at me. So, uh, <laughs> some of you may be like that today and Valentine's Day is going to be a little rough for you. A young child said, Daddy, why is a man only allowed to marry one wife? The dad, being a wise dad, he says, Son, when you grow older, you understand that the law protects those who are unable to protect themselves. <laughs> Valentine's Day, it celebrates something called love. When we look at God's Word, you know God's Word commands us to love. I'm not talking about the, the eros kind of love that many of my stories and my introduction are talking about. I'm talking about an agape love, a love that gives. And when I say eros and agape, agape is a Greek word uh, that of much of the New Testament was written in that language. And uh, we're often taught to love. And so although we've had a few good laughs this morning, and, and some of you say, man, he's out of character this morning. Uh, you know what? I think we need that. It's cold outside. Some of you came in grumpy and contrary. And, 
and even after singing those amazing songs, you were still, you're just on edge this morning. I believe everyone is a little bit relaxed. So let me share some things from God's Word about love this morning in the time that I have and how that we can focus on family, we can focus on love, we can focus on what's important. And here's focus number one. Focus number one is that we have to focus on others. And that is not what our culture says. That's not what our society says. Today, in uh, 2024, our society says this, focus on me and what's best for me. And I'm not going to really worry about you. I want to focus on me. But I want you to understand this morning that that is in direct opposition to God's word. Because we're to focus on others. Listen to 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7, beloved. Let us love one another. For love is not of this world. It's not based on your bank account. Love is not based on the gifts that you receive or the gifts that you give. Love, the foundation of the love I'm talking about tomorrow, is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. So that tells me that there's believers. And it's important that we as believers, that we demonstrate love. And that we're not the one that has the edge. And we're not the one that is grumpy and contrary at the restaurant. And we're not the one that speaks with with criticism and, and cutting. We have to have a testimony and that we as believers, because God is love, that we're to demonstrate love. Would you agree with that? We need to do a better job at that. We need to demonstrate love. But we have to understand that in our life there's going to be enemies. Do you know that this world is an enemy? Because it's, it's the exact opposite of what we're trying to do called church. And this world hates you and it hates the God that we believe in. And it hates the lifestyle that we're attempting to live. And that is a holy, set apart a lifestyle that's pleasing to the Lord. The world hates that. We have enemies. But Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And then we're to pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Boy, that's a challenging verse. That's a verse that is very difficult to do. We can say amen to someone else that that's what they should do. But when somebody crosses us in a wrong way, someone injures us or hurts us with their words, here's what we say. Hey, I'm done with you. And we cut them out. And that's in direct opposition of what the God of heaven, his son, Jesus Christ, said. That we are there. We're to love, bless, do good, and pray for our enemies. Of course, fellow believers were to love our fellow believers, but how can we win this world if we do not love this world? Well, number two, love focuses on our dates, our fiance, or our spouse. Love focuses on, uh, for some who are dating, uh, some who, who, who uh, are, are, maybe we're engaged to. And let me take just a moment. On Friday, I had the opportunity to perform a wedding right here at our church. May I introduce to you, uh, we have Kyle and Ashley. I think I saw them here. Kyle and Ashley, are you here in the auditorium? Would you wave your hand? Uh, 
Oh, they, they stepped out. I, I, I saw them here earlier. This is uh, Kyle and Ashley, and I wanted to talk about them. I am so excited. They got married here at our church on Friday. Um, and you know what? Um, I, I, I want to tell you a little bit about their story here. Here's somebody that was very worldly, uh, lived a very worldly lifestyle, an unsaved lifestyle, because that's what unsaved people do. In fact, they found each other online. And that's, there's, there's other people who have found each other online. That can be a good thing. They found each other online, and, and they, uh, they started dating. And Kyle, he, Kyle lived up in the Phoenix area. He moved down here. Only when he moved down here, he moved in with Ashley. And they began to live together. Now, as Christians, are we supposed to live together and be unmarried? No, that's not God's plan. Well, Kyle didn't know any better because Kyle grew up and Kyle uh, lived, lived a, a sinful, uh, godless lifestyle. And, and, and you know what? Uh, they came to Tucson Baptist Church. And I'm so thankful they did. And Kyle heard about Jesus. And Kyle got saved. Last Sunday, he was baptized. Well, uh, it, it, um, it, it, they came to me about uh, four, four weeks ago, uh, back in January, and they told me their story. And so they had come to church. Kyle had gotten saved. Ashley had rededicated her life. She was away from the Lord. And they said, can we have an appointment to see you? And so Eric and my secretary set up an appointment. They came to see me. And they sat down. And they were nervous as they could be. And, and um, Ashley said, um, we're living in sin. We need you to marry us. I said, Okay. I would love to do that. Let's talk through that. I said, here's the things. I, I require three counseling sessions, and we've got we to work through all of this. And I said, but we can make this happen. And they said, but we can't get married until February the 9th. And, uh, and I said, well, that's four weeks, four weeks from now. And I said, you're living together. I said, now, I said, the only way I'll do that is if you two sleep apart for four weeks. And you probably think, well, he, I, that's weird. That's a, no, I, as a pastor, I believe that if you're, you shouldn't live in sin. And so I said, as long as you too. And they said, okay. So um, they, they agreed to do that. In each one of my counseling sessions, I'd ask them, uh, are, are you still doing what I ask you to do? And they said, yes, we are doing that because we want to get married. And we need a pastor to marry us. And so we're, gonna, we're doing that. So, so they, they, they lived apart in their own house for four weeks. And then, uh, and then Kyle, got, uh, he's gotten saved. He got baptized last week. He got uh, married uh, on Friday. And they're in church. They were in uh, church earlier today. They were in church on Sunday. Isn't that amazing? It is, that is what agape God love will do for someone. And I am so thankful that we, as a church, we've had an impact on Kyle and Isley. I was going to congratulate them, but we won't do that until maybe next week when they're, when they're back in. But I, I challenged Kyle directly with these words. Do you know the, he had never heard these words from Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25? I said, Kyle, the Bible says, husbands love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And you know what Kyle said? I don't understand that. That's, that's a new language to him. And so often, and I, want every, I think I have everyone's attention, so often we come to church and we as pastors, sometimes we'll preach a message and we'll use terminology and we'll use words that we assume everyone knows. And for some of you who have been married for years and you've been faithful in church and you know it all, 
We have to understand that there's new people that come uh, to our church that they have grown up in a secular society that they, that they do not have any foundation whatsoever. Do you know that Kyle knows nothing about Moses or Goliath? He's not heard those stories. And this is all new to him. I said, um, what are you going to do? Um, what are you going to do uh, after you get married on your, uh, 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 where, where are you going to go? Are you going to go on a honeymoon? No, we don't, we don't have any money to go on honeymoon. We're just going to go back to the house. I said, no, you're not. So I went out and got him a hotel room. I said, you're going to go to a hotel room. So I, um, uh, I got him a hotel room for Friday night. And I said, you're I said, I, I want you to go and sleep in and enjoy and have a big breakfast. And, and they said, oh, that's so sweet. Why would you do that? Because I love people. I, I, want, I, I want them to have a strong foundation uh, to start their new married life. And you know what? All of it's still new. Kyle has no idea what it means. Husband, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. It's all brand new. Now, how will Kyle learn how to do this if he focuses and we also focus to help those people in our church that may struggle in these areas of loving one another. Not everyone knows it just like you. There's a lot of people this is brand new, and we have an opportunity to help them. So Kyle's brand new in this. And so in, in, in focusing on love, let me give you a couple of things, how that we can focus on loving others, especially in our church. Focus communication. There has to be some focused communication you need to talk and spend time with your spouse. Um, uh, there's a, a man who accompanied a friend uh, home for dinner one evening. And he noticed that as soon as they entered the door, his friend, uh, his business acquaintance, kissed his wife when, uh, uh, when she saw him at the door. And, and, and he even said how pretty she looked. And after dinner, he complimented his wife on the food and even kissed her on the forehead. And, and uh, the, his friend from work said, do you always do that? He says, you bet I do. Uh, I, I, it helps to keep our marriage a happy one. And so his co-worker was greatly impressed with this. And so he said that when he was going to go home, he was going to try the same thing on his own wife. And so he went home that night, and he swept his a wife up in his arms, and he kissed her warmly and said, Sweetheart, you look wonderful tonight, and I'm a lucky man to have such a beautiful wife. His wife looked at him in amazement and burst into tears. For Pete's sake, the astonished husband said, What is the matter? What's the matter, she said. What a day it has been. First, Johnny sprained his ankle. Then the washing machine broke down and flooded our basement. And now you've come home drunk. <laughs> I, say, I, I say there's some... Uh, there's, there's some of you that need to have some focused communication. And, and, and when you go home, you need to shock your spouse and perhaps do something a little different that they know that they're appreciated. There's got to be focused commitment. I don't care if you've been married 50 years, 25 years, or three days like Kyle and Ashley. There's got to be a focused commitment. I had this long illustration I was going to share with you about sickness, but I'd look at the time. My time's going away. Let me just say, focused commitment is in tough times and good times, there has to be a commitment to make your relationships work. Number three, there has to be focused caring 
There has to be some focused caring. Uh, there's going to be uh, some times when we have to obey what the Bible says. Peter said this, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. We, we should care for one another. There needs to be a focused caring on those within our family and within our church family. There's, number four, there ought to be some focused sharing. It is not about me. It is about others. It's about giving in that relationship. It's not about what I can get. It's about what I can give. And on this Valentine's Day, maybe we can reverse that. Instead of pouting because your husband didn't give you a card. Wait, that's too personal. Uh, instead of, instead of uh, 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 pouting because things don't go your way, maybe we ought to reverse that and be so thankful and grateful and go out of our way to give to others and to share with others. And number five, there ought to be some focused sacrificing. I go back to our, our text verse. Jacob here. Um, do you remember the story? Did Jacob get the wife he wanted? His father-in-law tricked him. Now, those Bible scholars here, and there's going to be people who have no idea what the answer is, but the Bible scholars, what was the, the name of the woman that was given to, to Jacob first? Leah. And some of you say, what are you even talking about? So here's the story in modern English. Jacob goes and he sees Rachel and he goes, Wow! What can I do to have her as a wife? He was enamored with her. It was love at first sight. I think you can read that into the Hebrew. And Jacob wanted Rachel for his wife. Well, there was a little, a little custom there. And the custom is, is, that, is that the oldest daughter is to be married first in the custom. Uh, and, and Rachel was obviously younger than Leah. And so, um, and so it's, it's the wedding night. Jacob's still clueless, and it's the wedding night. Again, there's traditions and customs and, and dress and everything uh, about how that works. I'm so thankful it's not the, that way today. Anyway, Jacob goes into Leah's tent um, uh, thinking it was Rachel. They have a relations. It starts their married life, and only when he, 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 the veil is taken off, and, and he goes, Oh, no, what just happened? That's in the Hebrew, too. And he was tricked and married somebody that he never intended to marry. But he still loved Rachel. And uh, his father-in-law said, hey, if you'll work for me another seven years, you can have Rachel. And he was so in love that he sacrificed, really, his future, or it appeared that he was sacrificing his future uh, just for the sake and love of Rachel. There's going to be, there's, there's not going to be, there should be some sacrifices in relationships. In other words, it's not about me, it's about others. And finally, love focuses on the most importantly, number three, Christ. Love focuses most importantly on Christ. Friends, do you know the reason that we're here today and not at the mall, already not at a restaurant. The reason that we're here today is because we believe in someone whose name is Jesus Christ. 
And I don't know all of you from your different walks of life, and you could literally be like Kyle, and and, in the end of December 1st of January, you start coming to a church, you know nothing about church, you know nothing about God, you know nothing about Jesus, and you hear the pastor preach a message about Jesus, that he loves you, and you you believe in that message. I'm just here to say, love, focus on Christ. In fact, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 27, Jesus said unto him, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Now that's not exclusionary. You do not have permission not to love God. The Bible commands you to love God with all your heart and your soul and your mind. And this is the first and great commandment. So if you're in violation of this commandment, you're in violation of all the commandments. The very first commandment that every one of you should be obeying today is that you should love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. First John chapter 4 and verse 19 says this, we love him because he first loved us. And so we should have a focus on loving Jesus Christ. Well, how did he love us? Very quickly, and I, I know my time is just like slipping by like that. Let me just say this very quickly. How did Jesus love us? How did he personalize it? How did he love you? First of all, he was a forgiving God. He, he loved us by forgiving by forgiving. Every one of us have done sins and wrongs and bad words and stealing and bad thoughts and every one of us have gotten angry and we've said a bad word. We have all sinned against God and yet Jesus forgave us. Luke chapter 15 and Verse number 7 says, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons which needs no repentance. The fact of the matter is there ought to be great rejoicing over men like Kyle who gets saved. And we rejoice over that. I, 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 why, how did God love us? It was an immeasurable love. There's no limits to it. It's immeasurable. We cannot... We cannot dig deep enough for it. We can't go high enough for it. We can't go east to west. It's immeasurable. It's, it's, we cannot even quantify the love that God had. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want you to listen to this this morning. You say, my life's a screw up. I've done drugs. I've stolen. I've walked out on relationships. I've gotten drunk and my children have seen it. And I've and, and been in a drunken stupor and done things out of anger. May I just tell you, there's nothing that you can physically do that separates you from the love of God. Now, we'll cut off people just because they look at us wrong. And we've done stupid, harmful, sinful things. And God says, nothing you can do can separate you from the love of God. And not only is it forgiving and immeasurable, we can't, we, we can't quantify it. But I want you to know it is eternal. It's something that's offered to you that's eternal. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth. How long? Forever. God loves us eternally. God loves us sacrificially. It is a sacrificial love for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have have everlasting life. May May I ask you a very personal question this morning?
Have you ever accepted? Have you ever been adopted? Have you ever been received? Have you ever seen yourself in need of a Savior and acknowledged that before the Lord? You simply cannot understand the love of that which I speak this morning apart from having a personal relationship with Christ. I just, I'll guarantee you this. It will change your life forever. Being a Christian is the best thing that ever happened to me. More so than my wife, more so than my children, and more so than my grandchildren. And I dearly love uh, my family. But being, becoming a Christian and following Christ is the greatest thing that's ever happened. The following story, and you can close up your notes. We're finished there this morning. Um, uh, the following story was written in 1974 by Elizabeth Silence Ballard. And the story is told about Ted Ballard. He was undoubtedly qualifies as one of the least. In fact, these words were written on different report cards, turned off by school. Very sloppy in, in appearance, expressionless, unattractive. These were words that were written on his report card. Even his teacher, Miss Thompson, enjoyed bearing down her red pen and, and putting X's on, on Ted's papers and all of his wrong answers. And if you studied his records more carefully, here are excerpts from his report cards beginning in first grade. First grade, Ted shows promise with his work and attitude but as a poor home situation. Second grade, Ted could do better. Mother, seriously ill, receives little help from home. In third grade, on his report card, Ted is a good boy, but too serious. He's a slow learner. His mother died this year. In fourth grade, Ted is very slow, but well-behaved. His father shows no interest whatsoever. Well, Christmas arrived of that fifth grade year, the children piled elaborately wrapped Christmas gifts on Miss Thompson's desk, and Ted brought one too, and it was wrapped in a brown paper bag and held together by scotch tape. And Miss Thompson, she opened each gift, and as the children uh, uh, crowded around her desk to watch, as often happens at Christmas, came time for Ted's package, and and Ted's package just fell open. It was a gaudy rhinestone bracelet with half the stones missing and a half-empty bottle of cheap perfume. The children began to laugh as children are so cruel sometimes. But she silenced them by splashing some of that perfume on her wrist and letting them smell it. And she even put on that bracelet too, uh, missing half of the stones. At the end of the day, many of the children had left and the story is written that Ted came by Miss Thompson's desk. Miss Thompson, you smell just like my mother. And the bracelet looks like the one my mother uh, wore, and it's so pretty on you, and I'm glad you like my presence. He left the room. Miss Thompson, being a Christian, she got down on her knees, and she asked God to forgive her for the attitude that she had had toward Ted. The next day, the children were greeted by a reformed teacher, one committed to loving each one of them. Did you hear that? One committed, focused on loving others, especially the slow ones, especially Ted. 
surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, Ted began to show great improvement, and he actually caught up in the balance of that second half of that school year with the rest of the students, and even passed a few of them. And promotion came and went, and Miss Thompson, she heard nothing from Ted for years. One day, she received a note in the mail. It was simply said this, Dear Miss Thompson, I wanted you to be the first to know I will be graduating second in my class, Love Ted. Four years later, she received another note. Here's the exact words. Dear, dear Miss Thompson, they just told me I will be graduating first in my class. I wanted you to be the first to know. The university has not been easy, but I liked it. Love, Ted. Four years later, here's the letter. Dear Miss Thompson, as of today, I'm Theodore Stallard, MD. How about that? I want you to be the first to know. I'm getting married next month, the 27th to be exact, and I want you to come and sit where my mother would sit if she were alive. You're the only family I have now. Dad died last year. Love, Ted. The story's written that Miss Thompson attended that wedding, and she sat right exactly where Ted's mother would have sat. And the compassion that she had shown that young man back in fifth grade entitled her to that privilege. Let's have some real courage. And I think as a church, we need to start giving to those that we consider the least, the have-nots. And maybe it's that they'll become a Ted Stollard. And if even that doesn't happen, we will be faithful to the one who has also treated us as unworthy as we are, like very special people. I'm here to tell you that there's a lot, myself being first on the list, that God could look down and say, he's slow, he's uneducated, he's from West Virginia, from the hills and hollers. I say that respectfully. I, I know where I'm from. He'll never account to anything. Forget about him. And we often do that when we look at other people in church. We make a value judgment based on their external appearance or maybe because they didn't use perfect grammar or maybe because they don't drive the, the uh, nicest car that we drive or, or maybe the, they're a little bit socially awkward and we look down on people and we think, oh, they'll, they'll, they'll never amount to anything. I want to be with the popular people. I'm here to say that it's time that we focus on love. And may this Valentine's Day be different, not because of your spouse, but because we will look beyond ourselves and look at other people who deserve the love of Christ. Oh, you say, I'm saved. I know the Lord. That's all I need in life. I rebuke you strongly. There's a whole world that needs the same love that you've been given. And who are we to selfishly hide it, hoard it, and not show it? 